Welcome, wombat folk and trolls, sorcerers and orcs, to Rated RPG, the fantasy role-playing podcast where we toss dice and have fun adventures with our friends. This is the Valley of Green Gold, Episode 6. In Episode 5, we met Brad's character, Silbeth Orist. Silbeth is an ophidian, a snake person, but she's practically human in appearance. And that's a problem because her clan reveres the reptilian qualities that they believe are passed down from their god, the great serpent Nayoko Monene. The more snake-like you are in the clan, the higher your station. Something else that Ophidians are known for is the lack of emotion. In their creation story, the great serpent stole their emotions to protect them. And when Silbeth reveals that she has emotions, the queen casts her out of the clan, saying that she's a danger to them all. Silbeth, being seven years old, had some pretty strong feelings about being treated so unfairly, and those feelings awaken wild magic inside Silbeth, magic she couldn't completely control. She ended up casting Hold Person on the queen of her clan, which basically proved the queen's point. So then Silbeth ran away. Into the jungle she went. She went down to the river. She talked some people into giving her a ride in a canoe. And then she found an abandoned encampment where she discovered a rusty old chest containing a luscious fruit pie and a turkey call, thanks to a gift from Duke Jason of the Grand Duchy of Smurt. Huzzah! She's in the middle of a 10-day walk now through the jungle to get to a larger settlement where she hopes to find people to help her survive. And in the dark of night, she's about to be pounced on by a vicious jungle cat. We've rolled initiative. Brad, what did you get? 12. All right, Brad, Silbeth gets to go first. I'm going to hold my action. How much have I figured out about, you know, any natural magic abilities or anything like that that I might have at this point? You've been playing around with that over the last few days, and you've been able to spray poison out of your hand. Okay. But that's the only thing so far. I get a gut instinct that maybe I have other kinds of affinities with beasts or animals. As the cat approaches, I feel something surge up in me, and I cast out some magic that could help me befriend this beast. An animal friendship, as it were. What do you say to this jungle cat as it creeps? It's wiggling its butt. You know how cats do that. It's going to pounce on you. What do you say? Right. I say, hello, friend. We can help each other. I will help you find food if you do not harm me. It stops. Its eyes get really big, and it says to you, Food? You, you, you are food. Food want to help find food? I am not food. I am friend. Friend? Friend find food? Yes. Friend find food? Yes. Do I have anything on me that a, that a jungle cat would eat? You have some bits of dried fish, but it's sort of like your emergency rations. Yeah. Well, I, I have a feeling that if I can actually bond with this jungle cat, that might be a great thing. So I'm going to offer it the fish. Okay. It greedily nibbles up the fish bits that you provided it, and it rubs its cheeks and the top of its head against your knee as you sit up to hang out with this jungle cat that is now your friend. Excellent. And I say, remain my friend, and we can hunt together. Ah, hunting friends. Yes. I like hunting friends. I mean, not hunting my friends, hunting with friends. <laughs> I pet it, scratch it a little bit. Oh, it likes that a lot. It says, where we go now? We follow river. Ah, river 
this way. And it starts walking to the south. It does. It's not taking me to the river we came from? No. Hmm. It's heading south. Okay. Because you're a few days into the jungle now. You're halfway to this other settlement, which is built along a different river. So it's probably taking you to that river. Okay. I'll follow it then. You're moving at a normal pace through the jungle. It is dark, but you have dark vision, and the cat is leading the way, so it's not an impossible journey. I want you to give me a survival check with advantage because this little jungle cat is helping you. 21. Excellent. Over the course of your journey south, you and the jungle cat work together to survive the jungle as a team, and it works really well. But after a couple of days, the jungle cat says to you, Where are we going? You look for more friends? Yes, I'm looking for friends, other friends as well, yes. Humans. Humans? I no like humans. Will you stay nearby? No. Have to go home, where I live. I go too far into other cat territory, get hurt. Okay. Do you have a name? My name is Silbeth. Name? No name. Okay. I have liked being your friend. Maybe we'll meet again someday. I like friend too. Goodbye, Silbeth. Be well. And with that, the jungle cat prances off to the north, back to its home territory. You gather from what the cat told you that this human settlement is to the south, and it probably won't take you more than a day to get there. Okay, I'll keep going. You continue on through the day. The jungle weather is hot and sticky, and the rain is intermittent and annoying. But eventually, you arrive at the backside of a walled settlement. Now this is, uh, you know, the big jungle timbers that have been cut down and planted into the ground, forming a fort of sorts. And as you work your way around this village, are you trying to be sneaky about it? What I'd like to do is, uh, you know, kind of observe it from the shadows for a bit, you know, watch the inhabitants and examine the the structures and and see if I get any uh, insight as to what the settlement inhabitants might be like. So you recently became an outcast. That's essentially your background. And as part of your background as an outcast, especially as a young kid, you have to be able to read a community. You have to be able to look at how people are living within a group of intelligent beings and determine if you're gonna be safe there. How are they gonna to react to an outsider like yourself? And so that's what you do. You just sit and you study through the gaps in these timbers around this fort and you determine that these are just good people. They're trying to make a living. They're trying to survive out here. Traders and trappers and travelers, all of them outsiders, none of them Ophidians. And if you approach, you'll probably find people in there who will be allies to you. How are people getting in and out of this settlement? So there is a, a pier, a small pier along the front side where it faces the river. You approach it from the back side. So the front side is where the gates are to get into the village. Through the jungle, I'll walk around to the front side and approach the gate. Are you being stealthy or are you just walking right up? I'm just going to walk right up. You see a well-armored, large human man with a great beard, and he's standing at the front gate, and he has a, a spear uh, that's got a giant axe blade on it. It's a pole arm, but you've never seen anything quite like that before. And he says, whoa, little girl, what are you doing here? I am here to... Uh, at least trade, maybe make a new home. I don't know. I am, I no longer have a home. Well, I shall get Harbin Flamebender and he shall consult on this matter. And he has you stand there and wait while he hollers in, Somebody get Harbin, darn, darn it! Have I seen humans before? No. I 
find myself kind of fascinated by all the hair and the way they talk and that sort of stuff. As you wait there, some other folks come up to the gate and look out at you because they also really haven't seen anyone like you before. Your skin is dark and shimmers a bit like snake scales. Your eyes are definitely snake-like and your hair is that golden yellow color that juxtaposes against the shade of your skin in a way that most humans are not familiar with. And so as this big guy is waiting for Harbin Flamebender, he's talking to these other folks as kind of as if you aren't there or can't hear. He's like, oh, this is a snake girl. I've seen them before. Oh, they come out of the jungle sometimes and attack, but uh, this one seems like a little kid. And then here comes Harbin Flamebender. Harbin Flamebender is an old human. He is stooped and uh, he walks with a staff. He's wearing robes. The robes kind of remind you of the clothing that the priests in your clan wore, except his are drab and dirty. The guard points at you and says, Aye, Harbin, sir. This is the young serpent folk, and she's looking for a place to go. Uh, yes, thank you for letting me know, Tarnash. Hello, young one. What is your name? Uh, my name is Silbeth Orist. Your ma- maje- your majesty? Uh, I am no king, young one. I'm just an old man who thinks a lot. You're an Ophidian from deeper in the jungle. Have I heard that term before? No, you've never heard the word Ophidian. I tell him what I am in our native tongue. Right, the Nayokomonene. Well, can't have you just standing at the gates, I suppose. Come in. I need to think on this for a bit. Would you like to look around, Silbeth? Yes, thank you. Inside the walls of the fort, it's essentially a small, scrappy village. There's an assortment of tents and tiny cabins, and then there are a few larger, more permanent log structures. As you walk around, people look at you with curiosity, not with suspicion or malice, but you're still a little cautious. Harbin Flamebender's walking right next to you, and then he suddenly stops and says, I have thought on it, and I believe you will be safer staying here than continuing on uh, uh, through the jungle. Yes. Are emotions acceptable here? He's caught off guard by your question. Emotions? Why, I should think so. I have emotions and no ill has come of it. They are outlawed in my clan, but I feel them. Ah, how fascinating. You've taught me something new, Silbeth. Harbin then proceeds to show you to the small cottage in which you'll be staying. You'll have your own bunk and a place for your things, and most importantly, you'll be safe. Over the next few days, you learn that Harbin is a magic user, a wizard, and you reveal details about your wild magic surge and how it seemed to be connected to your emotions. Those are called wild magic surges. Some call them the sorcerer's curse. There are different places that your sorcery might come from, uh, gods or nature, dragons. Your magic is different. It comes from within inside of you builds up uh, when something stirs your emotions. Give me an arcana check. 23. As the days and weeks tick by, you learn arcane secrets in your dreams at night when you sleep. 
That's how you learned your cantrips like Mind Sliver and Mage Hand. And over the course of the next year, it really becomes obvious to you that if you feel negative emotions or you feel like a lot of pain, your likelihood of having a wild magic surge increases. If you can take a short rest, you can bring the likelihood down a little bit. If you can have a long rest, it kind of resets your whole deal. Give me an investigation check. 23. One day when Harbin is elsewhere, you find some notes on his kitchen table. These are notes that he has written out to family and friends, explaining that he is sick and that he doesn't have long to live. What do you do? You tell him that you found out about this or do you just kind of ignore that? Next time we're together, I say, Harbin, I, I need to tell you something. Oh, yes. I don't know if it's appropriate for humans, but I wanted to know more about you, so I looked through some of your things. Oh, that is an invasion of privacy, young lady. <laughs> Although I don't believe I've got anything to hide. Well, sir, I found out that you're dying. Ah, uh, yes, uh, mortality is uh, something that afflicts us all. It's not fair. You'll find no hand fairer than death, young Silbeth. I have lived a long life. And it is my duty to shuffle off this mortal coil. I, I don't want you to die, Harbin. Oh, well, it is something that I must do. Uh, but now that you bring it up, yes, I don't have much longer here. I, I shall think you should move along to a larger community where maybe you uh, stand a better chance of growing up and having a good life. This is no place to live for a child. I uh, I just spontaneously reach out and and wrap my arms around him in a hug and I start crying. Okay, this is really a heavy emotion for you. And so you take a level, for the first time since you've been here, you take a level of uh, that emotional weight. Uh, you need to roll a d20. Okay, five. You're able to keep that emotion inside of you barely. And it does seem like he senses that. It's uh, very good, child. You must let those emotions out. Uh, tears are far better than a fireball, as I often say. Yes. I'm so grateful for your kindness and your help, and uh, I will miss you so much. Well, I shall miss you as well, young lady. Uh, we should find you someone who can take you uh, downriver uh, to Greenbarrow. That is the best place for you, I, I would think. Where do you go when you die, sir? Well, it depends on what you believe in. I believe that when you pass, you simply become part of the universe as we know it, the world itself. Uh, we are made of the same things as, as the ground we stand on. So when we pass away, we become part of the earth itself. Uh, and do, does the Great Spirit Serpent do that for you? I'm sorry, but I don't believe in the Great Serpent. Maybe I don't either. I don't... I don't... Uh, I'm not a priest, so don't tell me you have problems. I find that funny. Uh, <laughs> will, will you take me to this other place? Oh, I'm afraid I have grown too weak to embark on a river journey. It takes about a week, five days or so, to get to Greenbarrow. You're going to want to find someone else. I made a, a, a little drawing with uh, charcoal when I found out he was going to die. Uh, it's just 
kind of an abstract representation of my affection for him, and I, I pull it out and give it to him. Oh, this is very beautiful. Thank you, Silbeth. I hope it brings you comfort in your last days, sir. I would like you to keep this. This will bring you comfort in the years ahead as you think back to this time in your life. Okay, you're very wise. I, I, I love you, sir. I love you, too. And I, I, I show him my uh, my locket uh, on my necklace. I've never really asked anyone to look at it before. I've had this for as long as I know, and I don't know where it came from, but that's how I learned the words. Ah, this looks like an elven craft, uh, but the words are in the common tongue. Huh, peculiar. Perhaps someday you'll find out more about it. Oh, oh all right, sir. Well, I'll be off then. Off you go into the village to find someone who's already headed down the river who can take you to the next nearest village safely, and you find a ranger, an elf, named Motus Tachal. Since I found out that my locket might be elven in nature or elvish, I, I say, do you know anything about this? And I show him my locket. I have never seen one like this before. It is a handicraft, you know, like uh, not very valuable. Do you know if I how I might find out who made it? Perhaps someone who deals in such things could tell you a little more about it, but it does seem like it's something that somebody uh, handcrafted, you know? So tell me, how soon do you want to leave? Well, uh, uh, I'd like to leave immediately if possible. Motus T'Chal is a ranger, and so you don't have to try to survive. He helps you with everything. He builds the camp at night, and he keeps you safe, and he keeps you fed, and makes sure you have fresh water. He's a very good caregiver. And uh, after five days on the river, you come to the large-walled town of Greenbarrow. Now here, instead of the fortress walls being made of rough-cut timbers, everything is much better crafted, and Greenbarrow is a much larger town. Mautus says, I have to uh, continue on down the river, but I will give you three gold pieces. I suggest you find a place to stay here tonight, maybe for a few days. Uh, thank you, sir. You've been very kind. And uh, you enter the uh, small town of Greenbarrow. The guards at the front, they recognize uh, Mautus T'Chal, and he waves at them, and they let you right in. You go into town, and immediately you see that there is an inn. Do you go in and find yourself a room? Yes, I do. You could stay here for almost a week on the amount of money that you have. And that includes your food. <laughs> nice. So you're staying there in the inn for about a week and you're just kind of waiting and looking around and watching the community to see maybe where you need to land. Okay. And that is when you find a young couple who have a small cottage near the inn. They are craftspeople. They make like clay pots and things of that nature for the community. And they also export them to other places. And you befriend these folks, Nigel and Willa Grum. They are humans. They are young. They're kind. And they take you in. And for the next few years, you stay with them as you continue to try to explore how your emotions and your magic as a sorcerer are connected together. Because you really want to you really want to keep people around you safe, but you also want to master this magic inside of you because you feel like this, this is going to become very handy someday. After a number of years, you're a teenager. You're about 15, 16 years old. And that's when you first meet Turley Oakcrest. What attracts you to Turley Oakcrest? 
Well, I, I noticed that she uh, is very self-sufficient and confident, and I, I haven't necessarily met a, a woman who is that confident before. She is a bit of an explorer. She's somewhat of an archeologist. She is sensitive to other people in a way that really is intriguing to you. She doesn't like plunder tombs and, you know, steal things from tribes. She trades and that's how she makes her living. She stays in town for a couple of weeks. And so you guys hit it off and she has met Ophidians before uh, in her travels. And so you guys are able to carry on conversations in your native tongue, which is something you've not done in years. You're actually not very good at it anymore. But she tells you that uh, she's heading back to Baxter. It's a huge city on the East Coast. She's gonna head back to Baxter. She's gonna sell some of her things. And then she's gonna get on a ship and she's heading to Crow Island because that's where her parents went. Her parents live on this faraway island. And uh, they sent her a letter. It said, "This it's great here. You have to come here. There's all kinds of opportunities, you know. And there's, you know, you're gonna you're gonna love it here." So she says, "Okay, well, I'm gonna go back to Baxter and I'm gonna go see my parents. What what are you doing? You do you live here? Uh, I I have been here for several years, but uh, I don't know if I really consider it a home. Do you need a companion?" She says, "Sure, if you want to come with me, give me an insight check." Nineteen. You get the feeling that she has romantic feelings for you. Yeah, and, and I, I've been feeling something as well of that nature. You notice that this positive feeling, the nervousness and that, that feeling of attraction, that does not add to your emotional burden that the wild magic surge is tied to. Mm, okay. And uh, she agrees. Yeah, let's go. Let's come with me to Baxter. We'll just at least travel together. You can see more of the world. Yes, I, I would I would like that very much. I, I, I would like to spend more time with you, yes. And as you embark on the river at first, and then after you take the river for a few days, you get off on a road and you get some horses. It's, it's weeks that you spend with Turley on the road. And in that time, uh, you share everything with her. You tell her about everything. And she opens up and tells you about everything. And you both come to realize how much you have fallen deeply in love with each other. Yeah, as, as we get closer, I, one night we're together, uh, just around the campfire, and I say, uh, I, 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 have, I have learned the phrase uh, from my locket, uh, and I show her this locket. I say, I, I have said I love you to people before, but I, I don't think I really knew what it meant, and I... I think I love you, Turley. And she says, I love you too, Silbeth. There in the in the darkness of your campsite alongside this road, you two realize that, you know, you're kind of made for each other. You're perfect for each other. You both love each other very, very much. I think I would like to spend many years with you. And she says, then let's do that. Let's be together. I don't know what that is exactly, but yes, I want to. And for the next few days, as you continue to travel, you sort of sort out what that's like. Just, yeah, we're just going yeah, to be together, and, and it's going to be great. You know, we've got each other. And, uh, you know, I'll take you to Baxter, and I'll take you to Crow Island. You can meet my parents. And uh, she tells you a little bit about them. Uh, Roger is her father, and Buttercup is her mom. And um, that they can be a bit much at times, but uh, they, they love her very much. 
and uh, that you'll, you'll get along with them just fine. Well, as you approach Baxter, you're riding across this uh, country road, and Turley says, do you see that up ahead? Give me a perception check. Twelve. You squint your eyes, and you see what looks like a wagon that has lost a wheel. It's alongside the road. Turley says, it looks like somebody might need some help. Let's go check it out. Let's do it, yes. So you ride up to the wagon, each of you on your own horse, and uh, as you get there, you see a large human man, and uh, he's got a big battle axe that's sitting on the wagon, the seat of the wagon. Uh, the two horses are hitched to the wagon still, but the wheel has fallen off of the wagon. He sees you coming, and he says, Oh, hey, ladies, I need some help here. What, what's my gut instinct about him? Give me an insight check. 23. Something doesn't smell right about this. Uh, okay. I lean over to Turley and I whisper, something doesn't seem right. She says, well, come on, let's just see what we can do to help. And so she rides up and she gets off her horse and she walks over to the wagon. As she's doing that, give me a perception check. 15. You don't see the movement in the brush, but you hear the whistle of the crossbow bolt as it flies through the air. Uh-oh. Roll initiative. 11. Also 11 on this end. Simultaneously, as you watch as Turley gets off the horse, she goes over to this guy, this big human guy. His battle axe is within reach. She's looking down at the wheel. Oh, you need to do this, and we need to carve you a new one of those. And then the whistle of this crossbow bolt through the air, does it hit you? What is your armor class? My armor class is 11. It whizzes well past you, does not hit you. And that's when you see where it came from. There is a scruffy-looking dude in the brush with a red bandana around his head. I say, Turley, we're being attacked. What do you do? I'm going to cast Chaos Bolt at the uh, person with the crossbow. Chaos Bolt is a somewhat unpredictable but powerful spell, and if you roll right, you could end up damaging one opponent and then having that magical energy jump to the other foe. So go ahead and roll your attack. 17. All right, that is going to be a hit. Roll 2d8 plus 1d6. The 2d8s, those numbers will correlate with the damage type, and you can choose which of those two damage types. There's eight different types you can do. If the numbers match, not only do you do that type of damage to the first opponent, but the energy then jumps to the other opponent, and you'd roll your attack and damage again. Right, I can pick thunder or poison. I'm gonna go uh, poison. Just seems like natural to me. This ball of nebulous energy flies out of your hands toward the guy with the crossbow in the bushes. And as it hits him, it erupts into a plume of greenish mist, your poison. And as he breathes it in, he gasps and gags for one brief moment before falling to the ground, dead. But just as that's happening, you see the, the big guy, this barbarian-looking dude, grab his axe and strike Turley. I scream, no! And she falls. Now, with this, not only do you take a level of emotion because you've been attacked, but because you love Turley so much, I'm going to say that all of the emotion you've ever felt, all of the fear, all of the anger, suddenly you're realizing, like, oh my god, I might lose it all. Roll a d20. If it's 10 or lower, you surge. 18. Now, the question is, do you want to surge? Yes, I do. All right, then roll your surge as you allow that energy out. 69. I cast Scorching Ray as a third level spell. Oh, marvelous. 
Now with chaos magic, do you get to choose your target? I guess it might depend on how out of control I am. I almost feel like in this case, it would just go towards the person who caused the pain, you know? I like that idea, Brad, and I think uh, in the future we'll have a secondary role uh, that allows Silbeth to sometimes take control of the uh, wild magic surge and aim it at whoever she wants. But I think in this case, because her emotions are so intense, each of the scorching rays will hit a random target. That sounds great. Okay, so go ahead and roll a d4. On an odd number, the scorching ray hits the enemy, and on an even number, it hits Turley. Am I doing it for each ray? Yes. It's at third level, so I have four rays. First one is odd. Hits the big guy. Second one is also odd. Hits the big guy. Even. Hits Turley. And even. So two of the scorching rays hit Turley, and two of the scorching rays hit the big guy who was attacking Turley. And I have to roll to hit for each ray. You have disadvantage, though, on the rays that are hitting Turley because she's prone. Okay, got it. So I'll roll the two that hit the guy, so 18 and a 20. You light him up. He's completely toast. Great. And first one uh, for Turley is a seven. Mm -hmm. And second one is an 11. Thankfully, both of the rays that you errantly launched at Turley hit the ground around her. They don't hit her, but she is gravely wounded. I rush to her. You get to her and you notice that she has an axe wound uh, that starts at her collarbone and ends in the center of her chest, cutting almost through her. Turley, uh, I, I do anything that I have ever learned about stopping bleeding and that sort of thing. You can give me a medicine check. It's going to be a very high DC. You can also use your chaos energy to grant you advantage on this. Yes, I will do that. But still, even with advantage, I only get an 8. I need you to roll another d20 because this is so heavy. 2. You feel another surge well up, and this one you cannot hold back. Roll another wild magic surge. Okay. Uh -huh. The good and the bad. Uh, 55. As you're trying to do anything you can to save Turley's life, this feeling of immense... Panic. Just pure panic. Interestingly enough, I have true seeing for the next minute. Unfortunately, it does you very little good in this circumstance. Right. And Turley, you can sense, is dying. And you have time to say maybe one last thing. Turley, I will love you forever. I will get you to your parents. She coughs and she says, I love you too, Silbeth. And then she dies. My grief is overwhelming. I'm just... I'm just wailing at the top of my lungs. Why did this happen? Why? And I can't help myself. I just start, like, beating uh, that big human head to a pulp. So as you're doing that, up rides two uh, gentlemen of the local constabulary. They are out on patrol, and they happened by, obviously, a little bit late, but as they see the scene in front of them, they stop their horses and one of them says, Oh dear, what has happened here, my lady? I wheel around with my staff in my hands, thinking uh, it's another attacker, and I'm, I'm 
like barely in control. We just happened upon this incident. Uh, we mean you no harm. I'm so emotional. I, I feel the possibility of another surge coming on. I try to fight it. All right, roll a d20. You've, you've been able to calm it down to a point, so five or lower you surge. Ten. You are able to take a few quick, deep breaths as you assess this situation. These people mean you no harm. They are here to help. These fiends, they, they killed my love. These two guards look at each other. One of them says, yeah, These are the two we were looking for. Oh, these bastards. They've been hurting people on this road for a long time. And you killed them. I hurt them bad. We are sorry for your loss. Uh, you deserve the reward for them. For killing them. What is it? That's 50 gold pieces. I might need it to get her body home. I'll take it. Thank you. They are generous of spirit, and they help reconstruct the wagon wheel, put it back on, and with Turley's body in the back of the wagon, you ride on the day uh, it takes you to get to Baxter. You get to Baxter, it's a walled city, there are guards out front. You're kind of in a haze as this is all happening. You're not really paying attention to what's going on around you. Uh, but they, they gather up the funding that uh, you've earned by killing these bad people. And uh, you go to the Undertaker, and they, they arrange to bring Turley's body there. You are so emotional and so distraught, again, that you know, you're just not your usual self. And the Undertaker hears what you did, and he agrees that he's going to give you a casket, a crate for, for her body at no cost and he will arrange to have it sent down to the docks uh, if you want it shipped somewhere. Yes, we need to go to Crow Island. Thank you for your generosity. C Crow Island, yes, I will send it to the docks immediately. It's getting to be nighttime, and uh, there are a lot of people in Baxter tonight for some reason, a big crowd uh, attending some sort of event. And as you uh, head down to the docks, you see the Harbor Master's shack. I go up to him and I say, I. I need immediate passage to Crow Island for myself and my lover. Well, uh, you know, there's one ship down at the end of the docks, uh, that small one way down there. Uh, that one's going to Crow Island tonight. I have two ticket prices. I got 100 gold if you are just going to be a passenger, or 50 gold, a discounted price, if you'll agree to work on the ship while it's in transit. Well, 50 gold is about all I have. I don't think that my partner needs to pay passage as she is in a coffin. Give me a persuasion check. 17. Uh, the ships going to Crow Island generally aren't full of cargo anyway, so you make a valid point, and I am very sorry about uh, your loss of your lover. I lost my wife several years ago, and it was very rough, but I will say uh, it gets a little better over time. Yeah, I don't think it ever will, but thank you. You head down to the dock where this small ship is at the end and it will be going to Crow Island uh, the, there's a boy who has a cart and, and Turley's body her casket is in this cart and he wheels it down behind you and he arranges with the ship uh, crew, yes, load it up and they get the cargo net, load up Turley's body safely and uh, securely on the ship uh, but for passengers you sort of have to wait until they've got all the cargo loaded in and then finally you'll get to go on the uh, the ship. Um, and as you're waiting there for the captain or whoever to come down and, you know, check your ticket, you see a very tall, very muscular, very handsome man coming down the docks toward you. 
He is wearing what looks like a bloody leotard or some kind of a costume. You're not really sure. It's way flashier than commoners' clothes, and it doesn't appear to be armor of any kind. He has dark bronze skin, and his hair is pulled up into a large afro bun that makes him look like he's seven feet tall. And uh, he's walking right down toward the entrance to this ship. And he says to you, Uh, hey, you, you look almost as lost as I do. How's it going? And that is the end of episode six. Thank you so much, Brad. Uh, I hope I can uh, live up to the other episodes that I've heard, of, which have been great. There you go. Episode six of the Valley of Green Gold. And it's getting good. The characters are finally starting to come together. The next episode of the Rated RPG podcast comes out on Monday. Every Monday at midnight central time, a new episode comes out and it's available everywhere you can get podcasts, wherever you want to get it, wherever you're comfortable. More people are finding it every week, too, and it's because your reviews and ratings help make that happen. Thank you to Bossa Nova B for your review on iTunes. He says, I've been listening to Rated RPG since the beginning when they started Descent into Avernus, and with Valley of Green Gold, they are knocking it out of the park. Can't wait to meet the rest of the group in the next few episodes. Yeah, hear, hear, Bossa Nova B. Thank you so much. If you want more Rated RPG, our live stream only adventure, Cult Busters, happens on the last Tuesday night of every month. It's a Twitch stream, and we start at 7 p.m. Central Time here in the U.S. You can get the link at RatedRPGPodcast.com. Cult Busters started with a session zero of sorts, and that is posted on our website. The live stream chat helped us create our characters and helped flesh out the concept behind cult busters. So our first official session of the adventure happens on February 28th, 2023, and we hope you can join us for it. It's going to be a blast. Neither the Rated RPG live stream nor podcast would be possible without our amazing Patreon supporters and friends like Tactical Willow, Actaboy, and Kate Slauson. We raise a glass and toast the health of the gorgeous Phoenix Brigade. Members in good standing include H.D. Burke, Random.Guy, and John W. Mangan. Thanks to Duke Jason and Duke's Turtle and Crow for providing gifts in-game from the table of potentially decent random stuff. Duke's Turtle and Crow recently sponsored two episodes of Beer and Board Games, on which Emery and I joined Aaron and Matt to play Fiasco, a really fun role-playing game. And we'll post those episodes of Beer and Board Games on our website when they come out at RatedRPGPodcast.com. Thank you to Lord Deputy Chris Fail for approving construction of Mebay Beachside Estates on Crow Island. The bureaucratic red tape has been a nightmare for that project. On a somber note, Igor Vakic was attacked by a swarm of insects. He survived that, but then he was gored by a boar, and that did the trick. So we gathered him up, and in the bucket of friends he goes. If you want to support Rated RPG, go to RatedRPGPodcast.com to find out how. Our link to our Patreon is there. On behalf of everyone around Ye Old Gaming Table, we hope you can join us on Tuesday, February 28th for Cult Busters. And in the meantime, thank you for enjoying the Rated RPG Podcast.